is God always totally and completely honest about everything? Or are there ever times where he condones a half-truth or maybe a little white lie? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, July the 16th of 2009, and welcome to our next lesson in our Knowing God series. Of course, the purpose of this study is to establish and discuss what we can know about God through both Scripture and reason. So we're going to be talking about God's truthfulness today. Uh, Thank you guys so much for joining us. It is just such a blessing to have you guys here with us, and we really appreciate you downloading this podcast. Just real quick here before we get started, I did want to tell you guys that next Thursday there probably won't be a lesson, although I'm not entirely sure. There won't be one on Monday for sure. There may not be one next Thursday either. Uh, My parents are coming into town, actually tonight, we're going to be going to the airport and picking them up here pretty soon, but they're going to be here and we're going to be going out of town uh, with them for a few days, and so we're coming back Tuesday, Uh, they're going back home next Thursday, so whether or not we have a lesson in our Knowing God series next week uh, is kind of still up in the air, we'll just have to kind of play it by ear, and I hope you guys are okay with that. Uh, I also wanted to let you guys know, in case you missed the announcement just a a couple weeks ago, estudiosbiblicospodcast.org and .com uh, are now up and running. These are our Spanish translations for our podcasts. Uh, We've got uh, an awesome brother in Christ who is a missionary from Mexico, actually, uh, living in the state of Mississippi, uh, who had offered to translate some of our podcasts for us. So, of course, we are happy to oblige. I think that's an awesome way for us to expand our ministry, uh, an awesome way to reach out to the Hispanic community. So, if you have uh, friends or neighbors whose first language is Spanish, point them to estudiosbiblicospodcast.org or .com, and they can follow along in the same studies that you're doing here on biblestudypodcast.org. I also want to remind you guys that this month, everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of $50 or more to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which of course is our ministry, is going to get a copy of Greg Kokel's new book called Tactics. This book is one of the best books on the market for equipping believers to engage their unbelieving friends in meaningful dialogue about spiritual matters. This is an excellent book. Really has some good tips, some good pointers in there from Greg Kokel, who, uh, you know, he's one of the best apologists out there. If any of you guys listen to his radio broadcast, you know what I'm talking about. He's awesome to listen to. So anyway, I highly recommend this book. You can pick it up uh, any place, you know, Amazon um, or barnesandnoble.com or wherever. But this month, everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of $50 or more to our ministry is going to get a copy of this book sent to you guys. So anyway, just something I wanted to discuss with you guys real quick, and this is something I'd kind of like to add to our apologetics lessons every week. Uh, just a, a little pointer, maybe some uh, just some advice for you guys. A couple of our listeners have written me in uh, in the past couple of weeks with some objections that they were coming across uh, from unbelievers that they were having some trouble um, refuting or, or uh, responding to. 
And so I took the time to uh, to look at the arguments that these guys were facing. And there was a common problem between both of them. And it's a problem that I've faced before as well. And that is, the believer, uh, the, our, our listener, wasn't uh, defining the terms that they believe in, right? They were allowing their opponent to set the definitions for the terms. And you just can't do that when you're talking with unbelievers. If you remember, maybe about a year ago, I think I brought this up, there were some atheists who came on to BibleStudyPodcast.org and posted on the, is God uh, powerful enough to create a rock that's too large for him to lift? And basically, their idea of uh, of God being omnipotent was that God had to be able to do absolutely everything uh, logical or illogical, including being both omnipotent and not omnipotent at the same time and in the same sense. And here's the thing. We don't believe that God can do anything. We only believe that God can do something that's logically possible. We don't believe that he can make a square with three sides, for example. We don't believe that he can make a page of paper uh, with only one side, right? There, there's always going to be two sides. So, I mean, these are logical uh, constraints. And so when somebody presents an argument to you, make sure that you are only defending what you really believe in. Because if you allow your opponent uh, to set the definition, then you'll end up defending something that you don't really believe in. And that's a lost cause from the beginning, right? So anyway, whenever you're dialoguing with somebody who's not a believer, make sure that they're on the same page as you are. And that is by determining what the definition is up front. And if there's any confusion, stop the dialogue, take a time out, and make sure that they understand exactly what it is that you believe. That way, you're defending something that you really do believe in, and you're not being drawn into a straw man argument, right? Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson. Of course, we're talking about the truthfulness of God today. Well, you know, there's a war that's being waged in our day and age, which has higher stakes than any other war at any point in all of history. And I'm not talking about an international conflict in which we send our military forces into another country to restore order or anything like that. Rather, I'm talking about a war which rarely, if ever, involves the use of physical violence. A war of philosophies and ideologies. And up for grabs in this cultural war, and that is, this is a cultural war, up for grabs in this cultural war is truth. On the one hand, we have an increasing number. Yes, this number is increasing. An increasing number of people who deny the existence of objective, absolute truth. And they live by slogans like, truth is a matter of one's perspective or one's preference. You know, I like chocolate, you like vanilla, that type of thing. Or they'll say, there's no such thing as truth. Or, we can't know what the truth is. Which, by the way, is one of the more common themes of New Age authors and thinkers. Or they'll say, All truth is personal, subjective, and relative. You know, things like this. This really is what characterizes this this movement away from truth. You know, these people accept these slogans dogmatically with, uh, you know, the same passion that Christian theologians accept doctrinal creeds. And on the other hand, we have a diminishing number of people who accept the traditional understanding of what truth is. They claim that truth is absolute, and that terms and phrases such as relative truth are actually oxymoronic, which of course is when two words are put together which are incompatible, such as living dead or pretty ugly, for example. (laughs) But you know, the sad fact is that there are Christians on both sides of this issue. 
Well, why is that sad? It's sad because the Bible tells us that God is both true and truthful. If there's no such thing as truth, then it's just as valid to say that God doesn't exist as it is to say that he does exist. And it's just as valid to say that God is truthful as it is to say that he's not truthful. So what is truth? Well, this is really the age-old question, isn't it? It's the same question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus when Jesus was being tried prior to his scourging and his crucifixion. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Well, the Hebrew word for truth, which we find used, of course, in the Old Testament, means firmness, faithfulness, sureness, reliability, or stability, things along those lines. The Greek word for truth, which we find, of course, used throughout the New Testament, means uh, that which is true in any matter under consideration, dependable, and real. So, to summarize just briefly, when we find words like truth or truthfulness in Scripture, it's saying that the statement about the object corresponds to the reality of the object being referred to. Let me say that again. It's saying that the statement about the object corresponds to the reality of the object being referred to, and that because the statement corresponds to reality, it's reliable and dependable. So truth simply means telling it like it really is. To the contrary of that concept, you know, any statement which does not correspond with reality is necessarily false, and thus not dependable, not reliable, and not true. And further, just a, a side note here, we should note that Satan is said to be the father of lies. That's from John chapter 8, verse 44. Well, if God is infinite and is truth, then God is infinite truth. And indeed, the Bible affirms that God is true, truth, or truthful repeatedly throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 27, Abraham's servant declares, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, God describes himself to Moses as, quote, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 29, we read, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, tells us that God is, quote, a God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, we read Samuel say, quote, also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 24, we read the woman, whose son was just miraculously revived from death by Elijah, uh, say to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Uh, And the Psalms are filled with references to God's truthfulness. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 5, the psalmist writes, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. He goes on to write in verse 10 that, quote, All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. In Psalm chapter 31, verse 5, we read, Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 11, we read, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. In Psalm 57, 10, the psalmist declares, For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. In Psalm chapter 117, verse 2, we read, For his loving kindness is great toward us and the truth of the Lord is 
is everlasting. Praise the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16, we read, He who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth. And he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. The New Testament also declares that God is true or truth or truthfulness. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. The Holy Spirit is also often described as the Spirit of truth, particularly by John. Uh, We find that in verses such as John chapter 14, verse 17, chapter 15, verse 26, and chapter 16, verse 13. And you also might want to make note of the fact that 1 John chapter 4, verse 6 also refers to the Spirit of of truth. And then in John chapter 17 verse 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, quote, "Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth." In Romans chapter 1 verse 25, Paul discusses unbelievers saying that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, Paul writes of how believers become secure in their salvation, writing, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So the gospel then is the message of truth. And then in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, we find uh, an affirmation that God is truth in declaring that, quote, it is impossible for God to lie. So clearly the Bible affirms over and over again that God is faithful and true. Well, given what we've learned about God so far in this study, you know, this is, I think, our, our 23rd lesson or something like that, but we can see that some of his other attributes lead to the necessary conclusion that God is is truth. First of all, for example, uh, God is simple. Because God is simple, he can't be said to be partially anything. Rather, what he is, he is holy and fully. So if there's truth in God, it encompasses every aspect of his nature. Secondly, God is immutable. Uh, Thus, if God is truth, he is unchangeably truthful. And this is exactly why the Bible repeatedly tells us that it's impossible for God to lie. He can't, even if he wanted to. He can't even want to. But even if he could want to, he couldn't do it because it's not within his nature. Just like it's not within my nature to fly, uh, you know, like wings, you know, it's not within God's nature to be able to contradict his nature, which is truthfulness. So clearly God's truthfulness flows logically and necessarily from some of his other attributes. Well, historically, Christian writers and and Christian thinkers have always affirmed the truthfulness of God. Polycarp, who was one of the earliest non-apostolic Christian writers, described God in his writings as, quote, the ever-truthful God, end quote. Uh, Justin Martyr, Uh, wrote that, quote, the word of his truth and wisdom is more ardent and more light-giving than the rays of the sun and sinks down into the depths of heart and mind, end quote. Irenaeus wrote that, quote, God is life and incorruption and truth, and these and such like attributes have not been produced according to a gradual scale of descent, but they are the names of those perfections which always exist 
in God. Augustine wrote that, quote, It is therefore because we are men, created in the image of a creator whose eternity is true, his truth eternal, his love both eternal and true, a creator who is eternal, true, and lovable trinity in whom there is neither confusion nor division, that wherever we turn among the things which he created and conserved so wonderfully, we discover his footprints, whether lightly or plainly impressed. End quote. Anselm wrote that, quote, Your word is as true as you are truthful, and is therefore the very truth that you are, and that is not other than you. End quote. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, you know, one of my favorite theologians of all time, wrote that, quote, Truth is found in the intellect according as it apprehends a thing as it is, and in things according as they have been comfortable to an intellect. This is to the greatest degree found in God. It follows not only that truth is in him, but that he is truth itself, and the sovereign and first truth. End quote. So moving forward to the Reformation, John Calvin wrote the quote, If we reflect that the Spirit of God is the only fountain of truth, we will be careful, as we would avoid offering insult to him, not to reject or condemn truth wherever it appears. In despising the gifts, we insult the giver. So clearly, the Christian faith has affirmed that God is both the epitome of truth and truthfulness throughout the ages. Well, there are some very serious objections that we face when we're discussing the truthfulness of God, and some of these can be really, really challenging. Most of these objections are derived from instances in Scripture in which God allegedly, that's the key word here, in which God allegedly doesn't tell the truth about something, or in which he condones someone not telling the truth. So, answering these types of objections requires, first and foremost, that you take a look at the passage, take a look at it, and understand the context of the text from which the objection is derived. Well, one of these uh, alleged instances is found in 1 Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, where we read, quote, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. And go, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So the allegation in this passage here, is that God is telling Samuel to tell what's either a lie at worst or a half-truth at best. Well, in response, we should note that God isn't telling Samuel to lie. In fact, the statement, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, would be entirely uh, 100% accurate. He did bring a heifer, and he did have the intention of making a sacrifice to the Lord. If Saul or one of Saul's officials had asked Samuel if he had any other business that he was planning on attending to or conducting, then, and only then, would it have been dishonest on Samuel's part if he had denied his intentions. So, to assert that God is telling Samuel to tell only a half-truth isn't true. It isn't accurate whatsoever, and thus this passage does not serve as an example of God condoning a half-truth. Another example based on scripture, uh, an instance in which God allegedly condones a lie, is found in 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 19 to 22, where we read, Micaiah said, Therefore, 
Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, you are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. So in this passage right here, is God condoning the untruthful actions of this spirit? Is God commanding this spirit to go and be untruthful? Well, absolutely not. In fact, if we look at this passage, he actually doesn't instruct the spirit to lie at any point here. Instead, what God did, he permitted the spirit to lie and used it to accomplish his sovereign will in this instance. Uh, You know, God never promotes evil, but he can and does permit evil uh, in order to accomplish his purposes, which always lead to the greatest good. And of course, considering that God knows the future, he knows what the greatest good is, we can trust his sovereign judgment in cases like this. So it's impossible for God to be something which goes against his very nature. Since it's impossible for God to be anything other than truth, you know, any passage which allegedly portrays God as being less than truthful is either misinterpreted, mistranslated, or both. God is always and unchangeably truthful. And our response to God's truth, in closing, our response to God's truth is very important. First of all, because God is truth, we can trust him. We can trust him in the promises that he makes, which includes the promise of our salvation, the promise of salvation for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. Because of his truthfulness, he is everlastingly faithful, which means that we can be assured of our salvation, our sanctification, and our freedom in him. And further, as we strive to be more and more like God, we should always speak the truth. We should speak the truth in love. We should walk in the ways of his truth. We should serve him in truth. We should study his word, which is true. And we should worship him in truth. And last but not least, we should always be praying to be led in truth by the spirit of truth. So anyway, if you guys have any questions about that, go ahead and email me. My email address is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. If there's another passage um, that seems to be questionable, go ahead and email me. I'd, I'd be happy to, to walk through it with you and see if we can uh, come to some type of resolution which affirms God's faithfulness and his truthfulness. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.